Hello and welcome to episode 518 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is my pleasure to be with you this afternoon. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us begin with St. Alphonsus Liguri's Tuesday prayer to the Blessed Virgin Mary to obtain a good death. O Mary, how shall I die? Even now that I think of my sins and of that decisive moment on which my salvation or eternal damnation depends, of that moment in which I must expire and be judged, I tremble and am confounded. O my most sweet mother, my hopes are in the blood of Jesus Christ and in thy intercession. O comfortress of the afflicted, do not then abandon me. Cease not to console me in that moment of so great affliction. If I am now so tormented by remorse for sins committed, the uncertainty of pardon, the danger of relapse, and the rigor of divine justice, what will become of me then? Unless thou helpest me, I shall be lost. Ah, my lady, before death, obtain me great sorrow for my sins, thorough amendment, and fidelity to God during the remainder of my life. And when my last moment arrives, O Mary, my hope, help me in the great distress in which I shall then be. Encourage me that I may not despair at the sight of my sins, which the devil will place before me. Obtain that I may then invoke thee more frequently, so that I may expire with thy most sweet name and that of thy beloved Son on my lips. Nay, more, my lady, but forgive my boldness. Before I expire, do thou come thyself and comfort me with thy presence. Thou hast granted this favor to so many of thy devout servants. I also desire and hope it. I am a sinner, it is true. I do not deserve so great a favor, but I am thy servant, love thee, and have full confidence in thee. O Mary, I shall expect thee. Do not disappoint me of this consolation. At least if I am not worthy of so great a favor, do thou help me from heaven that I may leave this life loving God and thee to love thee eternally in paradise. May all the words that I speak be so many arrows dipped in the blood of thy sacred heart, O Jesus, to pierce the hearts of all who hear them with love for thee. Amen. Holy face of Jesus of the veil of Veronica. Dear Lord, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer these prayers in reparation for the sins which most offend God in our times, blasphemy, the profanation of Sunday and holy days, and communism. Pater noster, quies in celis, sanctificator nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panam nostrum quotidianum de nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitibus debitoribus nostris, Et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libra nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tu, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et honor mortis nostrae. Amen. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, sicut erat in principio et nunc et semper et in secula seculorum. Amen. The Golden Arrow Prayer. May the most holy, most sacred, most adorable, most mysterious, and unutterable name of God be praised, blessed, loved, adored, and glorified in heaven, on earth, and in the hells by all God's creatures, and by the sacred heart of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the most holy sacrament of the altar. Amen. For the defeat of communists, Freemasons, and all revolutionary men. Eternal Father, I offer thee the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the instruments of his holy passion that thou mayest put division in the camp of thy enemies. For as thy beloved Son hath said, a kingdom divided against itself shall fall. Eternal Father, we offer thee the holy face of Jesus, covered with blood, sweat, dust, and spittle, 
in reparation for the crimes of communists, blasphemers, and for the profaners of the holy name and of the holy day of Sunday. Amen. Most sweet Jesus, redeemer of the human race, turn thine eyes of mercy toward the children of that race, once thy chosen people. Of old they called down upon themselves the blood of the Savior. May it now descend upon them a laver of redemption and of life. Amen. Before we get underway with discussing today's article, I'd like to thank any new listeners who are out there. I'm just looking at the metrics from Spotify, and it seems like over the last week or so, we have um, many new listeners. So thank you so much for joining us. May God richly bless you. Please tell your family, your friends, everyone you know about the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. I'd like to tell people um, I'm merely the host. This is her show. This is dedicated to Our Lady, I love her very deeply, and I love our Lord. And I want to share my love for our Lord, Our Lady, St. Joseph, and all the angels and saints with as many people as possible. So please share this podcast with everyone you know. If you can give us a five-star rating and review at Apple or a positive rating wherever you listen to this, that would be wonderful. And and once again, welcome aboard. And for those of you who have been with us from the beginning, I cannot thank you enough um, in the words of the old MacGyver episode, from the bottom of my heart, I salute you. This is entitled A Priest's First Tridentine Mass, and it was penned by Father Stephen Shield in the fall of 1996 for Latin Mass Magazine, available at latinmassmagazine.com. With the Latin Mass being so controversial during this pontificate, it should not be. I believe that it should be restored, the Roman rite should be restored, and the Novus Order should be abrogated, but it's been under attack, unfortunately, by many bishops and many priests. And we need to defend the traditional Latin mass. And um, I share articles that I'm intrigued with. And obviously, this is one from quite a while ago. I kind of scour the internet and and look for various articles that I, I think, I hope and pray will bring people closer to our Lord and Our Lady and get them to appreciate the traditional Latin mass more. Father Shield begins by saying, You could say I'm a recent convert to the Tridentine Mass. I have only been ordained five years, and I had very little contact with with it until my ordination. We were asked by Bishop Brewer to have the old Mass at English Martyrs, and we were, to be honest, a bit reluctant because we weren't terribly sure what it was all about. My first time celebrating the Mass, or rather the week or so before, was a nightmare. It all seemed so strange, so remote from my experience of Mass. The many rubrics and numerous stage-like directions to be remembered seemed so complicated and unnecessary. Would anyone notice if I forgot something? Couldn't I just simplify things a little? As the bell rang, I heard the congregation getting to its feet, and the nightmare continued. I was very much aware of the truly awesome moments looming before me. Would I remember everything? I prayed I wouldn't forget that I was saying Mass amid my preoccupation with remembering what to do and when to move, when to make the sign of the cross, and so on. Once the Beretta was safely in the server's hand, the chalice was on the corporal, and the missile open, I genuflected, and off we went. From that moment, things settled down, the Mass began, and while the nerves didn't disappear, they were no longer controlling me. I think fear of the old is often as hard to cope with as fear of the new. When the Mass was over, and I am sure I didn't make too many mistakes, the church locked and a gin and tonic poured into a slightly larger glass than usual, there came a time to reflect. What had appeared a nightmare ended as a spiritual experience different from anything I had experienced before. But what made it so different, and why did I feel so different? 
Above all, there was a powerful sense of the presence of God. It was a feeling of the majesty of the Father, the comfort and warmth of the Holy Spirit, the forgiving and gentle guidance of our blessed Lord in that Mass. Could it have been because this was a new experience? Or was it greater than that? I remembered something along these lines I once heard in a lecture on spiritual theology. Father Jordan Amen had spoken of the liturgy as a major source of inspiration for the spiritual life. On looking up his words, I was struck by this passage. The link between tradition and the liturgy is manifested in such statements as lex orande as lex credendi, the law of prayer is the law of belief. The liturgy is thus an expression of the vital continuity and perennial unity of the church's proclamation of the revealed truths to all nations throughout the centuries. As regards the magisterium, Pope Pius XI referred to the liturgy as the principal organ of the magisterium of the church. That ends Father Almond's quote. Father Shield says, tradition is the transmission of the deposit of faith from one generation to another under the teaching guidance of the church. This tradition proclaims, explains, and applies revealed truths to the people of God throughout the centuries. While human traditions are often subject to error, the living tradition of the church is infallible regarding the essential content of the faith. Liturgy is the public worship of the church. It is the form of piety practiced by the church in fulfillment of her mission to praise and glorify the blessed Trinity and to sanctify souls. Through this public worship, we are able to express our belief in the truths of our faith and to show others the mystery of Christ and the real nature of his church. In other words, the liturgy is not simply a necessity of duty. It is a living expression of what we believe and of the life we live in the blessed Trinity. This is part of the vital continuity Father Almond refers to, the same faith believed by all people everywhere at all times. The guaranteed continuity of this tradition is what gives life to Christ's mystical body, the church. That body must not be divided. Hence Father Almond's phrase, perennial unity, the unity of all believers holding the same faith which has been preserved and passed on from generation to generation. The present Holy Father emphasizes tradition and unity in his apostolic letter, Ecclesia Dei. It is impossible to remain faithful to the tradition while breaking the ecclesial bond with whom, with him to whom and the person of the Apostle Peter, Christ himself entrusted the ministry of unity in his church. Tradition, liturgy, and the oneness of the church are essential to our understanding of the place the traditional rite of mass holds in the contemporary church. At that extraordinary event, my first Latin mass, we were uniting ourselves in this traditional rite to the living tradition of the church. We weren't setting ourselves up as something different. We were a living part of that tradition, moving on, moving forward. Meanwhile, liberal liturgists continue to show only contempt for traditional forms and common sense. Let me relate a little story. A liturgist came to see a friend of mine telling him he needed to change his church to update and reorder. And my friend replied, okay, what am I to do? You must move the altar nearer to the people. So my friend said, if I move the altar nearer to the people, there will be no room in the sanctuary. To which the liturgical expert had a ready answer. Well, take out the first six rows of benches. And these are the quote experts. These very liturgists speak of the majesty of ancient rites, of the wonder of baptisms as celebrated in 5th century Syria, and so on. But one mention of the Tridentine Mass, and it's as though you ask them to deny the very existence of God. For some reason, they have a fear of the old Mass. What they seek is change. And with a familiar liberal dogmatism, 
they denounce anyone who disagrees with their point of view. While condemning the Tridentine Mass and those who desire its use, they condone personal changes made in the normative Mass under the guise of legitimate experience of liturgy. Liturgists insist that the liturgy must be readily understandable and accessible to everyone. Under this pretext, they have reduced the form of the Church's worship to the lowest possible common denominator. They have taken any notion of the sacred, any notion of sacrifice, and reduced it to, how do I feel, or where are you at, or where are we going? Surely the liturgy is not about that. The liturgy exists for the glorification of God and the sanctification of souls. Its purpose is not to make me feel happy and comfortable. It is for me to bring myself and offer myself with my Savior to the Father in heaven. This search for a lowest common denominator carries with it the patronizing assumption that laymen lack the ability to see for themselves the wonders of the traditional liturgy. Extra explanations have therefore been provided and ceremonies amplified to the point where they mean absolutely nothing. For this reason, I was particularly delighted to read Cardinal Ratzinger's recent address, and again, he's writing back in 1996, to the Lebanese bishops who were in Rome for a synod. In speaking to them about their liturgy, based on the document they were discussing, he said, quoting that document, Many await a deeper reform and a true renewal of prayers, texts, and books. They ask that they be better adapted to the language of the people and their mentality. I wonder, what is the mentality of the people? Are we thinking here about a superficial mentality created and homogenized by the communication media? Are we thinking about the simple of heart, whose eyes of faith see that which remains hidden to the wise and understanding? See Matthew 1, 1 through 25. Following the first line of thought, or excuse me, Matthew eleven twenty five. Following the first line of thought, one quickly arrives at the banalization of the liturgy. We have some sad examples of this in the West. The East should not follow this erroneous path. And Father Shields says, strong words and a suitable warning to the East. Let us pray that they take the good Cardinal's counsel. Ratzinger went on to say that with a great deal of respect and love, the text may be changed sometimes, but the real reform needs to be in people's hearts and in a renewed liturgical education and prayer. Above all, he says, our Lord must precede our action. With the disciples, we must go to the Lord saying, Lord, teach us to pray. Guided by the Lord, we will find the way. The changes introduced to modernize the mass and make it more accessible and understandable have hardly proved to be the success the experts predicted. Cardinal Ratzinger's plea that the only way to bring about a true and profound reform is through prayer is surely a step in the right direction. How often have we heard, change this and change that? We are a community. This will be better for the community. This will let us share together. On it goes with little or no mention of God and prayer. How often are we asked to pray for the good of the church, to pray for the bishops and priests, to pray for the spread of the gospel? We have heard arguments time and again to the effect that the early church observed such and such a practice and that it might therefore be right and worthy of restoration. But liturgical archaeology is hardly a part of a living tradition. The liturgical reformers tell us that at the time of the Council of Trent, the academics didn't have the means to find out this wonderful stuff they have discovered about baptisms in 5th century Syria. Well, what does it matter? The liturgists at the Council of Trent were not there to change any rites. They were there to forge a unity to fight against the Reformation. They wanted Catholics everywhere to believe the same things. 
beliefs that have been passed on from generation to generation. They were not changing the mass so that people everywhere in the world would feel more comfortable, more at home, more at ease. No, they were fighting off an enemy, an enemy that was trying to destroy the deposit of faith which had been passed down from the apostles. The place for the traditional mass in the life of the Catholic Church today, I believe, is vital. Its focus is God, not man. There is no confrontation between the priest and the people, and therefore there is no need for the priest to feel he has to entertain the body in front of him. It is difficult to ignore people you are looking at directly, and so priests have been pressured to entertain, their minds taken away from what they are there to celebrate. The secularism of our age has led many priests to believe that man comes first. The old mass, on the other hand, cries out the very opposite. So all the fears I mentioned at the beginning, the vast number of rubrics and stage-managed movements are not repressive, as I first thought. Rather, they enable a freedom which has gone from the mass as it is now. Rubrics and canon law are both essential, for they are our security and our freedom. They give us the freedom to concentrate on the truths we are there to celebrate. A lack of rules does not equal freedom. It equals chaos. And that is where the new rite has gotten us, to a state of chaos. Liturgical rules enable the priest and the people to completely be free to absorb themselves in the great mystery they are celebrating. This is true participation. This is accessible and understandable worship. How can we honestly refer to swinging in the aisles and waving one's hands in the air as participation. Such behavior may satisfy the ego for a moment, but nothing of it speaks of eternity. It confines souls to the present. The old mass is timeless, as should the new mass be equally timeless. All time is brought together when Christ's mystical body gathers to celebrate the passion, death, and resurrection of the Savior, and should not be lost in a few moments of something verging on hysteria. Liturgy is about the worship of Almighty God and the sanctification of the world. It has nothing to do with being entertained by a priest who looks like an out-of-place, second-rate comedian. We've been having governor's meetings all week, and there's been no end of talk of mission statements. I finally stood up and declared the whole spectacle preposterous. Our Lord gave us the mission statement. Go out and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That is the mission statement for all of us as Christians. Let us make that our mission statement. We all share the mission of our blessed Lord. The church takes this mission seriously, for she exists for the sanctification of souls. It is for this reason that the Mass ends with Ite Misa Est, Deo Gratias. Here is that living tradition of the church at work. After go, you are sent. Surely, thanks be to God, is the most fitting response we can make. By it, we are prepared to go out into the world and to take with us the church's mission of teaching to all nations. We have been given the grace of the mass. Now let us take the message of the gospel with us to bring others to join in this most holy mystery. But how can we bring people in when all they are going to get is a priest sporting Mickey Mouse ears? I have celebrated the Tridentine Mass many times now, and each time I am more aware of the priceless gift we have in the traditional liturgy, more aware of the freedom and timeless nature of this worship of the Trinity. There is no need for any priest to think constantly of new ways to keep people's attention or any need to amuse the audience with funny stories. So many things have been removed from our churches. 
statues, vestments, music, and even choirs, to say nothing of doctrine and prayer. The list, alas, is too long to contemplate. We have a duty to preserve beauty in all its forms. The Tridentine Mass is indeed one of those priceless treasures we have. It must not be forgotten, nor should its spiritual benefits be overlooked. This great gift must never be considered a source of embarrassment. On the contrary, be proud of the love you have for the old Mass. Never allow yourself to be put down or ridiculed by those who criticize it while knowing nothing about it. So ends the article. Once again, a wonderful article from the fall 1996 edition of Latin Mass Magazine by Father Stephen Shield. May God bless him. Um, I was 18 years old at the time this article came out. I'm 45 now. I really knew nothing of the traditional Latin Mass with the exception of the fact that my parents would say, you know, that's the Mass they used to attend. I used to thought, think, oh, it's just kind of just like the Mass we have now, but it's in Latin, right? Absolutely not. You know, my father was an altar server at St. Thomas Aquinas in South Buffalo, New York in the early 1960s. It's completely different. It's so much more beautiful, so much more reverent, so much more mysterious than the Novus Ordo. And I continue to pray that the Novus Ordo will be abrogated and the Roman Rite will be restored. The traditional Latin Mass will be restored. The traditional Latin Mass is a saint-making machine. I think of the folks I grew up with. I went to a public uh, high school, took CCD classes at Our Lady of the Sacred Heart in Orchard Park, New York. Don't get me wrong. Wonderful people over there. Wonderful priests. Good folks who love our Lord Jesus Christ. But I didn't know what I was missing, not having the traditional Latin Mass. And those folks I went to the CCD classes with, religious education classes, I can't think of a one who still goes to Mass, who's still practicing the faith. Does that make me some great guy that I'm still practicing the faith? No, there but for the grace of God go I. I am a wicked sinner in need of a Savior. The traditional Latin Mass has brought me closer to our Lord Jesus Christ. It has deepened my love, love for him and for Our Lady especially. And I know it's done the same thing for so many souls who are younger than me, you know, people in their 20s and 30s. Uh, I'm 45, people in their 20s and 30s, the Latin Mass is exploding in popularity with that group. And many of those people like myself are wondering, where has this been my entire life? So let's pray for the restoration of the traditional Latin Mass. It is bringing souls to our Lord. It is bringing souls to Our Lady. Our Lady is always leading souls to our Lord Jesus Christ. She says in the Magnificat, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She is all about God, everything she does. The reason why she loves us is she sees, even in a weak, miserable sinner like me, she sees a glimpse of God and she's madly in love with God and she wants to lead as many souls as possible to him. So if you haven't been to the traditional Latin mass, friends, please check it out. You will not regret it. And bring a friend, bring lots of friends, bring your family. It is exploding in popularity, even though it's been under persecution during this pontificate. Let us pray, my friends, for help and for healing. 
for non-speakers, check out the website Helping Autism Through Learning and Outreach if you haven't already done so. That's Helping Autism Through Learning and Outreach, available at halo-soma.org. And episode 277 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast, in which I discuss with my wonderful sister and wonderful niece, RPM, which is an acronym for Rapid Prompting Method, a system of communication for non-speakers, just as sign language was a revolutionary breakthrough for the deaf, RPM has done the same for non-speakers. We want to get the word out there far and wide. It's helped thousands of families. We pray that it will help thousands more because communication is a human right. Let's offer up prayers honoring St. Raphael the Archangel, St. Joseph, and Our Lady, and ask them to help non-speakers and their families. Almighty and eternal God, healer of those who trust in you through the intercession of St. Raphael Archangel, hear my prayer for non-speakers and their families. In your tender mercy, restore them to spiritual and bodily health that they may give you thanks, praise your name, and proclaim your wondrous love to all. I ask this through Christ your Son, our Lord. Amen. Memorare to St. Joseph. Remember, O most chaste spouse of the Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto you, my spiritual father, and beg your protection. O foster father of the Redeemer, despise not my petitions, but in your goodness hear and answer me. Amen. The three Hail Marys in honor of the Immaculate Purity of Our Lady of Fatima. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et honor mortis nostrae, amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et honor mortis nostrae, amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et honor mortis nostrae, amen. And a Gloria Patri for a very special intention. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, sicut erat in principio et nunc et semper et in secula seculorum, amen. Sweetheart of Mary, be the salvation of Russia, Spain, Portugal, Europe, the United States of America, Canada, and the whole world. Virgo potens, ora pro nobis. Sancti Joseph, terra daimonem, ora pro nobis. Sancta Raphael, Archangeli, ora pro nobis. In nomine Patris, et Fili, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Thank you very kindly, my friends, for listening to episode 518 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. In your charity, please share Our Lady's podcast with everyone you know. Follow us on Twitter. The handle is at Fatima Podcast. And most importantly, offer up prayers and sacrifices for our Catholic bishops. They need your help. Goodbye and God love you.